empty tomb this morning. We're going to look at John's account of it. Um, and, and we're going to do that for a particular reason. Uh, nope, I'm not even up. Uh, there we are. Um, and it has to do with John himself. Um, John is the only one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus to the cross. Like for all their big talk and everything else, you know, Peter, I would die with you, like, and everything else. John is the only one who willingly, like he and Peter went to the trial. Uh, John knew people, and that's how they got into the trial. And Peter denied Christ and ran away, and, like, John stayed. And John actually went to the cross. He was probably witness to the scourging in the trial and everything else. He was there for the whole thing. And he was with uh, Mary and Mary, like Mary, the mother of Christ, like was there with him. And like Jesus actually says, this is your son, son, this is your mother. And basically saying, well, hey, John, take care of my mom for me. Right. Um, and, and so like at at this point, John has a unique perspective and he is one of the first people to see the empty tomb. And. In writing his gospel, and actually we'll talk about this more in the second service, he ends this chapter with a purpose statement. Like, you you got to love that when you're reading a book, and the book, like, has a straight-up paragraph that says, hey, the whole point of this is blank. And, and he says, my whole purpose in writing you this letter, writing this book, is so that you can, like, know what I saw, and you can believe in Jesus, the risen Lord. Like, and so his whole point is to get people, like, to share his testimony. This is what I saw, and to get people to believe. And there are layers of belief that take place in this particular text, and we're going to look at it. So the, the disciples have arrived in Jerusalem. Um, it is the most exciting time ever because, you know, this Palm Sunday thing happened. And they, they come riding into town. It looks like a conquering warrior. Jesus fulfills like a dozen prophecies all at once. And they all relate to God like bringing freedom to his people and peace and everything else. And they are ready for something huge to happen. And the something huge that happened was not what they thought. They were expecting like this big conquering hero. And what they got was um, a crucifixion. It kind of... Um, to, to kind of ride on uh, Martin Luther's analogy, like, you know, hey, discovering the eggs or now discovering the candy or whatever on Easter is like a gift in itself. It's a prize and it's exciting and everything else. When I was a kid, my mom used to buy us these, these candy eggs that were huge, right? And they would be different pastel colors and really bright and bought them every year. I don't know where she went to get them. I assume it was somewhere bad um, because they were the worst tasting candy I ever had. Ever. And they would like the outer layer was like a, you know, an eighth of an inch thick. And it was like this really hard candy stuff. And inside was this white, fluffy, nasty stuff. And I would look at it every year, every year, even into like when I was older, I would look at them and think these things are great. That's huge. Look at how big that is. And you, you break it open and see the white stuff. Oh, my gosh, that looks great. And then you'd eat it and you'd be like, oh, wow, why did I do that? And then by the fifth one, you're thinking, why do I keep eating them? The disciples are there in Jerusalem. They are ready for this big, exciting thing. And what they get is not what they wanted. They get the death of Christ. They've watched this guy raise people from the dead. They've watched him command storms. They've watched him walk on water. He has done things that only God could do, according to Jewish belief. Right? And so they are standing with God. They are in on the ground floor with God. And then the egg cracks open and it's full of junk. And they're there, and they watch him, or John watches him crucified. He probably went back and told 
the other disciples, like, guys, this is what happened. This is what I saw. And they were probably heartbroken and crushed. Anybody ever had, like, their, their big career path crushed? Or a huge financial destruction? Or a relationship that disintegrated? Or whatever. Like, a thing that seemed like the thing. And suddenly it's gone. And you wake up in the morning and you're like, what do I do now? Right? I mean, I'm talking about this because I wanted to give you the mindset of what's happened. Right? Like the mindset is everything is broken. I've wasted my life. I don't know what to do next. I don't know what, like, I, I, I can't even, you know, they knew God was there because they hung out with him. But what do you do with God after that? I, I'm, I'm sharing this because these were lost people. They were crushed and broken and mourning. And, and it was a lot. And they were also probably filled with shame because they ran away. Right? And so here they are in this spot, and, like, Jesus has been buried. And a real quick thing. So, like, when Christ was um, – I don't know if she backed the camera up or if i got to stay in the chair. So uh, when Christ was crucified, they uh, – normally they would break the legs of a person who was being crucified. It would send them into shock, and it would speed up the death dramatically. That's what happened to the guys on either side. Christ had died beforehand. There are a bunch of interesting medical theories as to why. But in the end, like they jammed him with a spear, like up through under his rib cage, they water and blood flowed, which is a strong indication that it, like the spear itself, like, cause Romans were good at killing people. Like if your job is killing people, you got to know how to do it well. And they, they probably pierced him up from underneath and stabbed through the pericardial sac. It's a big bag of water or water looking stuff that the heart sits in to keep it safe, and they probably pierced his heart. So Christ died, pierced heart for you, right? Wow. Um, And so then they took him down. They prepared him for burial. Usually burial would take about 75 pounds of spices, and that's because embalming wasn't invented yet. And you had to put him somewhere, and they would generally do a thing that was really unpleasant when people die, um, which is decompose right and they smelled awful and people were really gross in the decompose and so like the spices would help like sort of tampen it down and like bring him into place but the spices alone could have killed him like ancient burial was a death sentence on its own which is kind of crazy but he's been buried he's in a tomb they put a two-ton rock granite rock in the way they put the seal of rome on it if you break the seal of rome it's a death penalty offense they put guards outside he is dead dead not mostly dead not anything else he is dead dead and so then passover happens or excuse me um passover has they are in passover the uh sabbath takes place they rest and like they're supposed to celebrate it's actually against jewish law to mourn on sabbath and so like i'm guessing they broke that I mean, it seems pretty legitimate. Like one of your closest friends, your mentor, you watch him murdered publicly. Or only John watched it. Uh, But it would be crushing. And so on the morning of, they're scattered. Um, And the women who witnessed the crucifixion, like, and hastily buried him, they returned to the tomb. And they did it, first off, to finish the burial, right? Because they were hurrying. It's a process to cover somebody with 75 pounds of junk. And he probably, they're up for something gross, and not just gross, but, like, horrible. Because I'm guessing handling somebody, you know, in decomposition is gross and horrible, but somebody you love dearly, somebody who was probably God, like, you looked at him, and you're like, I don't know how he does this, he must be God. Like, seeing that had to be, and then seeing him dead, and then knowing, like, now i got to handle this. Crushing. 
And so they're there. Um, John actually records this a little unusual, and each of the gospel writers records the events in their own way. They um, include certain details or exclude certain details based on what their point is. Um, We all tell stories like that, too, except for me. I tell you every detail, and that's why my stories last like 45 minutes. And Anna's nodding sagely in the back. Yes, he never shuts up. Um, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So, Mary is not alone, first off. It only mentions Mary, and I think it only mentions Mary for a reason. And we'll get to that reason in a minute, okay? But Mary is with a group of people. It would be extraordinarily unusual for a woman to walk around in the dark in that part of the world just didn't happen. And she's with a crowd of women, and we know because I believe Luke includes a long list of people who are there. And they get there, and they're like, how are we going to move the rock? We better find somebody. Hopefully somebody will be able to help us. Um, And so they've arrived to do it, and probably knowing that they couldn't, but like wanting to do something. That is the worst part of mourning, is being in this spot where you're just waiting for something to happen, or you're thinking, I should do something, but there's nothing to do, and you can't do anything. These are crushed people and they see the tomb roll you know open and they think oh somebody stole the body how much worse does it get than that right like they desecrated his grave like oh my gosh and so mary turns around and runs back and she goes to simon peter and the disciple the other disciple whom jesus loved which is john by the way john hides his identity throughout the gospel, and like the last line, he acts, not accidentally, he intentionally says, hey, I'm, the, I'm that guy, right? <laughs> but like throughout the book, he hides his identity um, by saying the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, so she goes, they stole the body, he's gone. Now, before we dive into the rest of the story, really quick, well, hopefully a quick aside, um, the text actually says on the first day of the week, right? It doesn't say on the third day, despite the fact that over and over and over and over again throughout John's gospel and all the others, the third day is emphasized. And so not on the third day they arrived, on the first day of the week. That's weird. And it's a weird detail that would be easy to miss today. But in the ancient world, that kind of detail, like they learned to hunt for that. And hunting for it, the first day of the week, um, there, there are a couple of reasons for this, like what would have been tipped off to a really careful reader. Um, first off, all of the gospel writers say the first day, not just John. Every one of them do it, right? That's weird. Why would they all do it that way? Um, because the beginning of a new week, I know we look at Monday. How many of y'all love? Oh, it's Monday. A new week, right? It's like New Year. Uh, where you say, well, you know, it's, it's a new year, there's possibility, there's all this stuff. And that is why the first day of the week, by the way, first day of the week, Sunday, not Monday. Uh, that's why it starts there. It starts there because, um, I'm going to fall down. 
uh, it starts there because it's something new. It is the start of something new and big and huge and awesome. And, like, that's big. Like, that is important. It is, it is important to not miss. Because there are times in life where following Jesus and doing all the stuff that Christ calls you to do can feel like, like drudgery. Right? Ah, oh, i got to do this now. Ah, oh, this is up next. Ah, oh, you know, and it gets tiring. And like, oh, I gotta follow the laws. Oh, I gotta have a swear jar because I, you know, I gotta not swear. Oh, I gotta, you know, go to church. Oh, I gotta, you know, 8 a.m. is awful. Uh, that's how I, I don't like eight. Eight's early. Um, and so uh, this first day is because they're saying, listen, something new is coming, something brand new. It's not the end of the week it's not the the sabbath was always the seventh day it was the end of the creation process and now they're saying listen guys the creation process is over something new starts first day and the first day is also when believers began meeting not long after this believers stopped worshiping on saturday because most of these jewish believers and whatnot they would go to the synagogue and they would worship with the rest of the synagogue folks um they were kind of driven out of the synagogues it was really unpleasant and nasty they would have public prayers about christians being killed horribly and punished by god in hell and everything else and the christians are like yeah maybe we won't come back to this they start going the next day um but the reason being because christ was risen on the first day of the week on sunday so now they celebrate the resurrection. When we go to church, we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate that he is risen. Oh, wow. I put you all to sleep. Let's try that louder. He is risen. Because it should be exciting, right? It should be exciting. Finally, there are all these other women with them. I talked about this a second ago. They could not possibly have moved this stone. It was two tons. There is a weird theory called the swoon theory where Jesus doesn't die on the cross. He passes out. And then he wakes up in the tomb, gets out of bed, or gets out of the the grave, pushes the stone out of the way, pushes the stone out of the way, and wanders past the Roman soldiers who didn't notice he was leaving. See the problem? Beyond the fact that he was whipped to the point of bleeding to death and, like, stabbed through the heart and everything else, hands hands with holes in them, feet with holes in them, pushing a two-ton rock out of the way, it's not reasonable. It's not realistic. Like Christ rose. Um, so the next thing, we're going to jump into the next one. Peter and John run to the tomb to see for themselves. They're like, what? He was stolen? Let's go see. Let's see what happened, which is a very man thing to do. Let's go fix it. Um, the pairing is important. First off, because John witnessed the crucifixion. So we have a guy who witnessed Christ dying and then is about to witness the empty tomb, Right? The second is, in Jewish law, you had to have two people to testify to anything. And women weren't allowed to testify in court. By the way, if the gospel was made up, if John made this up, like pulled it out of his ear, right, he did a really bad job of lying about it because you would never have women witnesses because women can't be trusted. I'm sorry. That's not me. That's the Jewish law. I don't make the rules. Um, but they couldn't testify in court. Their, their word was not worth anything. And actually, we see it later where, like, the disciples hear about the empty tomb, like, like after this series of events. We'll talk about it in the next service. But they're like, yeah, the women are just being women. You know. They didn't trust them. So the two witnesses that were both men is significant. Um, also very fun in this particular text. So Peter went out 
with the other disciple, meaning John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. There are a million different theories as to why it says this. There's stuff about like, oh, the Jewish church and the Gentile church, except they're both Jewish, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, Fact of the matter is John is about 10 years younger than Peter, right? And when you're old, you're slow. Got it? (laughs) Old, slow, and long-winded. So, or, I mean, again, lots of theories. I really think that this is a moment of John writing and just sort of making fun of his friend. Like, right? If I outran anyone in this room, I would never let you forget it. Ever. So don't race me. Um, So... John gets there. John stops at the door and says, oh, no, this happened. It's open. What happened? Like, oh, my gosh. He didn't go in. Ancient Jews, and theoretically today, graves, tombs, unclean. You didn't touch dead bodies. You didn't go near them. Third day, smells bad. Oh, my gosh, it would smell bad. Like, I'm not going to get into it's gross and we need breakfast in a minute. Like, ask me after breakfast and I'll tell you all about it. Like, like the, the process is horrible and the tomb would have been gross and awful. Um, and so they arrive. They, they're at the tomb. They look in and Peter charges right in because he's Peter, right? And I think John included that detail because he's Peter and that's just who he was. And people who knew Peter at the time of this would be like, oh, yeah, that's a very Peter thing to do. Charges into the into the grave, like unclean, gross, everything else. Most of us don't like touching dead things, right? Dead people. Like, I, I guess I live in a community of hunters. Y'all have their own deal. But, like, we don't like touching dead people. We don't like the idea of dead people. It's, it's something that's very separated from us. Back then, you didn't touch them because they're awful, because they were unclean. Um, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. So, if you were going to rob a grave, would you stop and take the time to undress the person whose dead body you were stealing? No, right? We're all going to agree on no. There's a running theory. The disciples stole the body, but why would they undress him? That's weird, right? Or somebody else stole the body. Why would they undress him? What if the Pharisees, you know, came and took the body so they couldn't? Why would they undress him? And so the clothes are laying there. He doesn't go in. He stands there and looks. Um, That grave clothes thing... um, It's significant. Being left behind, it's an important detail. And we're going to get into it here because Simon Peter came, I said this already, right, following him and went into the tomb. Um, I'm a guy who I don't really care where the tomb was. There are two potential sites. I think the more interesting one is the garden tomb. It's outside of Jerusalem a little ways. Uh, There used to be a giant rock formation that looked like a skull. And this, like, archaeologist like was standing on the walls of Jerusalem. They have a traditional location with a church built over it, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And like this guy's standing on top and he's looking out and he's like, there's a skull in that rock. And so this archaeologist goes out there and starts digging near the skull and he finds a garden. And in the corner of that garden, he finds a tomb. Like a tomb cut into a rock face that you would have to bend down to crawl into. Huh. 
And then, like very carefully, when they excavated it, the very first thing they did was they swept up every ounce of dust and like every little bit of particle, and they brought it, and they tested it, and looked for anything that could have been biological. And they didn't find anything. Which is insane, because you would put bodies in tombs so they would decompose, and then you would take the bones out, put them in a box, and put them somewhere else. Why wouldn't you leave them buried? Because a tomb cut into a granite rock face is expensive. You think building a house is expensive. You think burying a body now is expensive. Doing this would have cost a fortune. Normally, there were other ways that they buried poor people, and Jesus was a poor person. Um, and so, like, this, this spot, like, you would have to crouch down to walk in. There's a bench. If it's the actual site, there's a bench on the edge, right? And on that bench, Peter goes in, and he sees the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. That's weird, isn't it? So what they would do is they would wrap the body very tightly, and the face would be covered with a single piece of brand new linen, sometimes tied on, but it would be there over the face. It was a separate piece of cloth. And so, like, the clothes being left behind... First off, a grave robber would not have left the clothes... We all agree on that, right? Um, Second, the face cloth being folded and set aside, which means the cloths that bound him were left where they lay. And the general theory is the resurrection. Like, Jesus was resurrected into what's called a glorified body. It's a whole sermon on itself. We're not going to get into it, okay? Um, But it wasn't like, it was like us alive as people. And we know that because Jesus eats stuff. And he talks to people. And he touches them. And everything else. He wasn't a ghost, right? Um, like, so Jesus does things that are living person things, but he can do other stuff that's awfully miraculous, right? Because what Paul tells us is when we're resurrected, we're not resurrected in the exact same kind of bodies. Um, we're resurrected into bodies that are suited to live in God's presence. Because if I went into God's presence now, I would be disintegrated. Um, it's a little like fish, right? Where do fish live? What? In the water. Who said that? Who's still awake? My wife. Uh, she's used to me. Um, and so, like, like, we're resu- like, a fish is suited to live in water. It has a certain kind of flesh to live in water. We will be resurrected into bodies that are suited to live in God's presence. Um, Jesus walks in and out of buildings without using doors. Kind of nuts, right? Jesus looks kind of different. People can recognize him and not recognize him based on whether or not he decides they can. Like, there are all kinds of crazy things that happen there. And the general theory was that he was resurrected. He's tied up like swaddled, right? Tied up, swaddled, which may be a parallel to the birth narrative, by the way. Um, But that binding wasn't folded up. It's like he raised up out of them or moved through them, which would fit with what we know about the rest of the resurrection stuff. But the face thing, the thing he would have just pulled off his face, he folded up and tossed on the thing, and he left which is amazing. Um, Most scholars agree the contrast is a result um, of the grave clothes being like him passing through them versus him folding it up. Okay, that's it. Uh, Next idea as we dive into it. Uh, John encountered the empty tomb and he believed. Not everybody else did. In fact, nobody else did. Right? So 
Then the other disciples who had reached the tomb first, meaning me, John, not me, John, but or that John, but John, John, um, he went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, Peter goes back saying, oh, they stole the body and they made him naked before they did it. John looks and says, oh, my goodness, he raised. He is risen. Oh, wow. That was like a school recitation. You know, like in school where you get bored and you're like, all right, guys, <laughs> say the alphabet. All right, he is risen. Thank you. So they've gone back home, but John believed. Now, John believing is because there are layers of belief that happen. John sees the empty tomb and he believes. Um, Mary is there. Mary has seen the empty tomb, but she doesn't believe. So Mary continued to mourn, and now more so at the desecration of his tomb. Um, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have taken him. Um, I, I, this is an interesting text, right? I'm guessing she looked in and there are people there. And like in shock of the moment, they ask her like, hey, why are you crying? Well, I don't know. They took him. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think there's a moment of shock. Have you all ever been around folks that like have a recently dis- deceased family? Remember, they go into shock. And they mourn, and they go numb, and it's they're a little. I do a lot of it. I'm not saying this to be mean. Don't hear me. There's like a there's a hysteria that accompanies it, right? Like where they're just out of body almost, and you can sometimes laugh about things that don't make sense. And so she's there. She looks in. Hey, they they took my Lord, and Jesus. What? What happened to my? Okay, I don't know where they laid him. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, the, you have, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, rabbi. Um, so she is there, and she hears Jesus talking, and she's weeping, and she looks, and he, she thinks, oh, he's a gardener. Why? Have you ever ugly cried? Like, none of the men here have. But you get, like, ugly cry, like, tears, like, can't see anymore, eyes puffy and swollen, the whole nine yards. Again, none of the men here, I know. Um, but she's full on in mourning, and Jesus is there. He's Mary. She turns, and she knows it's him. Jesus appeared, turned her mourning into joy, and then immediately left. 
He was resurrected to ascend after being seen, not to resume his previous ministry. Um, Why do I include that? Because Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and he has said these things to her. And that he had said these things to her. So, and then the disciples are like, you're nuts. It didn't happen, right? Except for John, who's like, holy my, oh my gosh, he's the only one who believes. There are layers of belief. In the moment of everything is broken, everything is broken, everything is broken, we tend to go back to it over and over again. You ever really feel broken, feel empty, lonely, depressed, hopeless, like that stuff, and you just keep going back to that well of sorrow, And you keep going back to that well of hopelessness or that well of like whatever that you're trying to cover it up with. People will do that, right? They'll drink or they'll they'll go to the Internet or they'll do things that are crazy to fill in that hole in themselves. And they're there and they're trying to fill the hole in and like they go back over and over again and it never works. And so, like, these guys are mourning and they're hopeless. They've seen something. It could be something. John's probably arguing with them at this point. And they're like, well, Mary is not telling the truth. Mary's nuts. Of course she didn't see him. Because they're going back to the well of sorrow that they had. It's like me and that stupid candy where I just kept eating it. Why? It wasn't good, but I kept eating it. Right? You ever do that? Where it's like, this isn't even good. Why do I keep doing it? I don't even enjoy this. When I quit smoking years ago, there was a moment of realization where I was like, I don't even like smoking anymore. I used to get a buzz off, but I don't get a buzz. I just smell bad and my mouth tastes rotten and I spit stuff up. It's awful. Why do I keep doing this? Because if I don't, what else am I going to do? I keep going back to the well. The disciples keep going back to the well, but the resurrection, the resurrection is our alternative. This different way to live, this different way to be, this new life that we are given and promised. Like the empty tomb is amazing because Christ, because Christ was risen. He is risen. That's why it should be a joyful cry out because life is worth a living after that. It's not, I will never see her again. I will never see him again. I will never, you know, I talked to my dad after my mom died. And, and my dad was in the military for a long time. And he, uh, he would do this thing called TDY. I have no idea what it stands for. I'm like 40-something. My dad did a year of TDY. never found out what it meant. But what it means is they would send you to do duty somewhere else you'd go and like be in we were in alabama and they were in dc my dad was in dc for a year away from us or you'd go to the philippines for a month or a week or whatever and then you come back and my dad said you know i know i know i will see her again i know the resurrection is true i know these are things that will happen and it's just like i'm on tdy just a long tdy when i'm done doing my service here when I'm done with the, the mission that God has given me, I will go and I'll be with her. And we get to be filled with joy because God has given us a mission. He's given us a job. He's given us a life. And we grow to be more like him if we walk with him and with other believers and everything else because the tomb was empty. We are promised that he lives. And so as we get up early and listen to this long, boring sermon, and like we're tired and we're ready for breakfast already and everything else, like understand We have to come back to this over and over again on the first day of the week because this is the start of something new. The moment you know Christ is risen, the moment you talk to him in the garden, the moment he calls your name and you go to tell people, I've seen the risen Lord, he is in me, my life is new, nothing will ever be the same. Nothing is ever the same. 
And it's something to be joyous over. Something to be filled with hope over. So my challenge for you, my encouragement is, as you, as you go out the door, understand the Easter egg hunt's over. We have already found the risen Lord. Already found the best gift you could get. Already found Christ. He is risen. Let's pray and let's have breakfast. Heavenly Father, I pray, uh, I pray that though, uh, though it's sometimes hard to believe, uh, it's sometimes hard when we want to go back to the well of sorrow and eat, the, eat the, the, the junky candy forever, Lord. I pray that you would help us to come back to the, the joy that comes with the resurrection, the hope that comes with new life in Christ, the, the, the blessing, the blessing that is the empty tomb in Easter morning. Praise you, God, for being the God of our hope, the God of our future, the God of our new life, Um, and that we are not empty like that tomb, but we are filled with your Spirit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a good morning. He is risen? risen. (laughs) Now everybody's awake.